Good evening, everyone. My name is David. I'm a grateful, recovered addict and an alcoholic. Come on, a little more enthusiasm, please. Come on. I thought so. This is Cocaine Anonymous, right? I, um, okay, so I identify myself as a recovered addict and alcoholic and grateful. Uh, there's a reason for that. Uh, the way that I've been kind of schooled in, in uh, the 12 steps and, and, and through my recovery is that uh, I have a goal. I don't, I, you know, my, my goal is not to separate me from the things that I took. Right? That's nice that that happens. But I found in my life that when I get separated from the things that I enjoy, the world becomes a dry, ugly, horrible place to live in. And I return to those things that I was supposed to be separated from. So um, the way that I've been uh, taken through the steps with my most recent sponsor is that I am seeking a spiritual awakening. Uh, a spiritual awakening for me uh, comes about uh, after doing, and this is for me only, a lot of work because I'm really damaged goods. Right? I didn't come in here and have a white light experience. I didn't come in here and wake up and go, oh my God. You know, the tulips are blooming. I need to stop, you know, banging heroin in my neck with a turkey baster, you know. Or, you know, uh, using a large amounts of uh, cocaine or hallucinogens or whatever the, was the, uh, the, uh, the drug du jour. Um, I came in here um, uh, broken and, 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 and suffering from a spiritual malady. And, and that spiritual malady would inevitably lead me back to a mental obsession about what I was missing. And the reality of the situation was what I was, was, was missing was something that was akin to and almost felt like a spiritual awakening. I don't know about you, but the first time that I used cocaine, I thought I had found God. You know, I mean, this stuff worked. It lit me up like a Christmas tree and I felt at home. I wouldn't feel at home like that until I came into the rooms. I would not feel that kind of ease and comfort till I came in here and actually did the work. Um... My sponsor uh, has taught me that um, this spiritual awakening that I get is not a destination. It is a journey. Now, I can cross over from being spiritually bereft to being spiritually alive and spiritually awake. And that is going to happen after a certain set of actions I take. Uh, so, in the 12th step, it talks about uh, you know, having had a spiritual awakening. And having had a spiritual awakening is a promise. It's not a thought. It's not something that may or may not happen. It is an absolute promise that when I get to that point, I'm going to have a spiritual awakening. And it requires me to do two things to maintain that spiritual awakening. One is to carry this message, not Dave's message, by the way, which looked really kind of weird up until a few years ago. <laughs> but the message that has delivered, been delivered to me free and clear with no charge from a loving and caring group of individuals. Um, and the other thing is I have to practice these principles in all of my affairs. Now, what does that look like, right? It looks like for me that means I don't go to work and take. I don't come into a relationship and take. I don't go and meet somebody and try and get. I don't come to the rooms and try and take from you people. I come and try and find out what I can do for other people in this world today. And that's a vast difference from the vast majority of my life. I spent my... I want to say, I spent 90% of my energy to get 10% of the way in the rooms. And I fought this thing, crazy, crazy fought this thing. I tried every other possible avenue but the simple outline that we're supposed to do. <laughs> I could have read the goddamn book in 1985. <laughs> so a spiritual awakening uh, that exists in me comes about because I have finally, for the first time in my life, put other people's needs in front of my wants. There, the, the well-being of the next person in line is, is, is more important than whether or not I sit down in front of the telly and I have a gallon of ice cream, right? It's about getting on the phone. It's about working with others. It's about being available to my children, my wife, my employer. These are not small things. I don't want to be bothered. I don't like people's gen in general case of uh, point. You know, they, they're annoying. They want you to do stuff like get up and show up at their place of employment and, you know, before they give you a check. These things I find annoying. Really, really annoying. Um, 
But when I get beyond that annoying part, when the little old lady with the blue hair driving the car doing, you know, 25 miles an hour on the parkway, uh, you know, uh, when I'm no longer trying to cut her off into the ditch, right? That's when I've had the spiritual awakening. Having that spiritual awakening, right, is what they talk about in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We've become into a recovered state. Now, it doesn't matter what I call myself. It matters what I do. I called myself a recovered alcoholic in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous long before I was. Out of ego. I am so screwed up. You guys have no idea. And I would... It's the truth, though. You know, I thought a whole very... I really liked me. But I really hated me. And it was painful. It was painful hanging out with me. And I couldn't get away from me. I was there all the time. It was really annoying. So getting into a recovery state where I actually put your needs and your wants in front of what I do was a massive change for me. And I was married, right? And I was married, and I found out that my wife wanted me there seven days a week, right? That was interesting, because I really hadn't planned on that. <laughs> Getting into a recovered state, right, took a lot of work for me, because I think a lot. Anybody here think a lot? Yeah. Anybody here think about themselves a lot? <laughs> If loving me is wrong, I don't want to be right. You know, I mean. <laughs> so I get into a recovered state, and it takes a tremendous amount of work, and, and I have to do stuff that just sounds stupid to me. Right? But it's stupid stuff. Who wants to do inventory? Right? <laughs> I thought about that stuff a lot. I don't need to do it. I've thought about it. And I've shared it with the other voices in my head, so it doesn't matter. Now, if I truly want to identify myself as a recovered addict, I need to be doing the deal, right? Can't be hanging out in here and not doing the deal. And that's why when I was, uh, you guys made the mistake of asking me to speak tomorrow night, I uh, <laughs> said, let's do a, a three legacies inventory. Because a three legacies inventory is the most recent thing that has come out of some work that I've done that has been absolutely moderately magical, right? It's not this thing that kind of like goes, oh my God, you know, I do this and everything's better. But what it is, it's like this really constant, wonderful thing that I do that gives me a, a guideline for what's happening. Um, and I talk about being grateful. So I talked about being a, a grateful recovered addict. And, and, and grateful is, is nice. You know, you go to a, one of those open discussion meetings and they're doing talking about their gratitude list. And I'm grateful today. I'm so happy. I'm grateful. The sun came up again today and I'm grateful. And look, there's a puppy out the window. I'm grateful. And, uh, you know, this is why I don't carry a gun anymore. Right? <laughs> And I used to think that, right, I used to think, actually, and I'm making fun, but the, the truth is I, I, I really feel that way, actually. I'm not making fun. Um, the truth is that I understand that, because I wake up sometimes and I go, oh, my God, I'm not dead. You know, oh, my God, my, my wife still talks to me. This is awesome. But the grateful that I'm talking about, so there's the grateful of, like, the feeling, right? That's cool, Right. It's cool. I'm grateful. And you know what? If I'm not grateful, then, you know, it'll come. Um, but the grateful I'm talking about isn't... The grateful that I'm talking about is an action set. Right? How do I show my gratitude for being saved? Right? I wasn't... You know, it wasn't like when I came into the rooms, it wasn't like, well, you know, I was on my third job and I was working my way down middle management when I decided to have a spiritual awakening. So I came to the rooms. No, that wasn't for me. And, and you know, I've been very, uh, having a great time uh, hanging out uh, and uh, hearing the stories uh, with my hosts. And, uh, you know, I get it, right? We didn't get here because it was a little uncomfortable. So how do I show the respect and how do I show the gratitude? How do I show to God, right, that I mean this? Well, I take actions. I get up off my ass when I go out and help another alcoholic, another addict, another dope fiend, right? Because I know what that's like. And there's no hope. I, I was a hopeless variety, right? Think about that word for a moment, hopeless. That means tomorrow is guaranteed to be worse than today. Hopeless. I remember that. I remember getting up and thinking to myself, 
put a gun in my mouth if I had the strength, right? I didn't have the strength, so I go out and do the same thing over and over again. It was Groundhog Day over and over again. And, uh, you know, so grateful, uh, a grateful addict and alcoholic for me uh, defines for me that the fact that I get up off my ass and I try to help somebody each waking moment. It's not, it's not like, well, you know, I shared at a meeting today, so I've helped another alcoholic. You know, I'm getting on the phone and I'm calling people. And you know what's really annoying? Is the people that I want to ask me to sponsor them never do. It's the people who need real help that ask me to sponsor them. But Jesus, why can't I get a puff, you know, just somebody will just do it, you know? Maybe the attractive people, not the ugly people, you know? I'm working on it. Um, so, this. <laughs> Yeah, I told you, you know, I need a lot of work. Um, you know, I came in in 1985, and I actually went to a CA meeting in 1985. You know, and, I, and my sobriety day is not 1985. Um, I believe uh, God has, been, has kept me safe and protected throughout my entire life. And, you know, uh, 85 was a chemical bottom for me, uh, but it wasn't a spiritual bottom. I would need to do, I would need to do stuff... Uh, sober that, that that brought me about a, to a spiritual bottom, um, but you know my sobriety day is August eighth of two thousand and four, and and I came back and as only the willing and dying and desperate could be, totally sober. I wasn't using drugs, I wasn't drinking, but I was dying of spiritual malady. And I once I, 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 and I knew I knew that I had to get uh, I had to get something more than what I had. What I had was not sufficient to bring about a spiritual awakening. I had had separation. From the things that solve my problem. So I started to do inventory. And I went through a passive inventory with my first sponsor. He was a great guy. Um, you know, uh, and he did it a certain way. He kind of came from an old school lineage back to, I think back to, for some reason, back to Akron, right? Uh, Dr. Bob kind of lineage. And, and he did his absolute best with me. You know, he loved me and he wanted to see me, uh, you know, get free. And he did that with me. And, uh, you know, and after a while, I got to a certain place, and I started to work with people. People started to ask me, and then fire me, but they would at least ask me. And uh, I would work with guys, and, and what happened was I got very busy uh, in, in, in the rooms, and I was free, and I didn't quite have that. I would see that on other people's faces. You know that smile? Hey, you know, I'm free. And you think it's brain damage, right? But it's not. It's actually... <laughs> Well, maybe you don't think it's brain damage. <laughs> you, know, um, you know, these people were free and they were happy and they were and they were and they were living life. And and you know, my first sponsor, you know, he, he worked for an organization that, uh, if it hasn't already, uh, should have been shut down by the, the feds because it was a a brokerage house that used to call European customers, probably in Bournemouth. And, you know, get them to do trades on Wall Street and, and just charge them egregious commissions until they eventually ran through their money. Um, but he had to work there because he had to support his son because his wife had left him. Right? But he's coming into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and he's carrying a smile on his face. And he had something that I wanted. And, and, you know, he took me as far as he could. And then I started working with another fellow who is my current sponsor now. And what he did for me was he introduced me to the concept that I have to evolve. Right, that a spiritual awakening uh, is not a destination; it's a journey. Right, and I'll say that you know probably a dozen times between now and and, and tomorrow, uh, and it's the it's the God's honest truth for me. I get someplace and I go, I never thought I'd be here, and then tomorrow gets better. I am the hopeful variety now. Um, and we start to do inventory, and, and you know I I would make this recommendation: if you're going to do a four step, go up and tell your sponsor. If you're doing a fifth step with your sponsor, go up and tell them the worst thing you ever did first. Right? Because if they run, you save yourself. No, seriously, you save yourself an hour or two, right? Um, you know, and I would have been told my my um, my current sponsor the worst. He, he wasn't even out of the car yet, right? You know, I'm like, and I did this. <laughs> he goes, we can get through that. Oh, good, there's a we involved, right? Um, so I went through a process with him where I explored inventory through a four step. Uh, and he was the kind of guy who would say, 
why don't you do this? And I go, okay, all right. And uh, I would do this. And what would happen is I, I'd start to change, right? Because I did not understand what I needed to have changed in my life. What had to be changed in my life was not something that was cognizant to me. Now, I'm a fairly intelligent fellow, right? I, I'm not stupid, but I could not see the forest for the trees. You know, you're not treating me right, right? You are not treating me right. And I'm not once thinking about the times that I've harmed you. I'm just thinking about the fact that you just aren't doing what I want you to do. And it becomes a very sad situation um, because I start to get a little irritable and discontented. Um, so we go through the inventory process together. And it was, the, it was an amazing process for me because I really didn't know what was wrong with me. Now, so I got uh, Chris as my sponsor. I want to say it was 2000 and, and late 2007. Um, mm early 2008 and you know I had, he had come and, I, and my sponsor before that probably out of self-preservation had fired me and uh, you know Chris shows up at my home group and, and starts talking about you know his life and, 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 and the things that he's gone through and, and I found that attractive and it took me about three months to ask him, but when I asked him right I then didn't call him but then after <laughs> but then after about you know three months of like doing that like anybody here ever do the sponsor drop Every two weeks, I'm going to call you and say hello. Everything's fine, thanks. Hope you don't answer. <laughs> and that wasn't sufficient. That wasn't going to bring about a, a recovered state for me. Uh, so, you know, we did four, and he moved me into a process uh, of, of doing work on six and seven. Although I hit my, my first sponsor had me actually right on six and seven. But, my, but Chris had me actually hit my knees after five and, and, and do the prayers and then and get right into the amends cards. Um, he had me do something else, though, after seven, and while I was doing eight, was he had me look at the seven deadly sins. All right. Now, I could not name the seven deadly sins before I started that process, and I can't name it now. I always forget, like, two. But I learned what slot... Trust me, they'll come back. Right. My memory's terrible. I'm 51, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, things don't always uh, stick with me. But, you know, I... I took about seven hours on the seven daily sins, and I wrote about it. And I wrote about a page and a half on each one, and uh, I got to understand myself a little bit more. So the process of understanding it, a simple four-step inventory for me was just not enough. I consider myself damaged goods. Right? It's not a bad thing. It just happens to be a fact. Right? Um, you know, I've been the greatest impediment to my own recovery. I have caused me more harm than anybody else. No, I don't put me on my four-step, so to speak, right? I'm not going to go make amends to me, right? That's not how it works. But the problem is that I get in my way because I think too much. You know, I like to think about what you're doing wrong, by the way, before I think about what I'm doing wrong. But I'm doing six and seven, and I start to uncover more aspects of myself. Now, here's the other thing. I get into 10 and 11, and I don't want to do 10 and 11. I want to go right to 12. I went out and made my amends. Uh, I currently have two unfinished amends uh, that have come up in the last two years. One is to my father, who is buried in Florida in a potter's grave. He was killed uh, while in jail down there, and I didn't find out about it until years later. And it, it came up with my amends that I needed to bring him up to New Jersey. So I'm working on that, but getting through the red tape and the municipalities and everything else has been, it's, it's not at my pace, it's at God's pace. Right? And I'm not even sure if I'm supposed to do this because it's not happening at my speed, but I keep working on it. And the second is to an old girlfriend who just came up on inventory within the last year and a half. And she refuses to make a time and a place. I cleared it with my sponsor. I cleared it with my wife. And she refused to make a time and a place for me to meet. She keeps saying, yeah, we'll meet next week. Call me later. You know, write me later. So I have 200 finished amends, but I learned at the end of the amends process uh, that I did not want to do 10 and 11. I didn't want to do it. I, you know, I mean, what do I have to do it? Right? And then something happened that changed my life. I was driving in New Jersey. I had Chris for a sponsor for about six months. And I'm driving up to the Tuesday night meeting where we used to go, the Spiritual Awakenings Group in, in um, Bernersville, New Jersey. And I thought to myself, are you too old to go insane? I started to wonder whether or not the stuff that was going on with me, right? 
meant that I was insane. And I thought that was a valid question. You see, if you leave me to my own devices, I will come up with things like that. I'm driving up. It was in like an hour, right? And I always used to, you know, I worked in Manhattan. I had to, I had to park near Manhattan and then drive. And I have an hour, hour and 15 minutes to think to myself, which is really dangerous. And I honestly thought I was going insane. But what did Chris have to say about this? So I walk through the door. Chris is leaning up against the wall. And he looks at me, and I don't open my mouth. I'm walking over to ask him, is, am I too old to go insane? And he goes, you want to do a big book workshop? And I go, I guess that's the answer, right? And I said, yes. So what's the dis disconcerting thing about this big book workshop? Is I'm suddenly going to be sharing on 10 and 11, and I ain't doing it. And I ain't talking about it. I ain't talking to people about it. Oh, my God, I, you know, we're going to get to those two weeks. Can I take off and let someone else do it? Right? So... What had to happen for me is I had to throw myself into 10-11, but I did it by a process of going out and finding you people and asking you people some simple, basic questions. What do your disciplines look like? And I'll tell you something. I found the strangest thing. I would go around to the different rooms, and I would find some. Now, I'd see you know Joe over there. Joe over there would be uh, rocking and rolling. He'd have 20 sponsees. He'd be the man, you know, the man of the hour. And he didn't have a 10-11. I'd go over there and meet Sally, who's the... Uh, the quiet woman in the back was three or four sponsors who are dedicated to her. And I ask her a 1011 worker, I get blown away, right? This woman is meditating. This woman's making a conscious contact with God. This woman is cleaning her house on a daily, moment-by-moment basis. And she's getting free, and she's rocking it into the fourth dimension, but she's quietly doing it in the back. So I started to get an understanding of what I needed to do, and I started to do it. Now, um... It's still not enough for me. It's still not enough. I'm going through uh, the stages of a spiritual awakening. The way I understand it, different for anybody, right, is that I go through, this is me, I believe I go through spiritual experiences. I'll work with somebody and they'll go out. Right? That's a spiritual experience for me. Right? Not because they went out, but because I had the opportunity to work with somebody. I had the opportunity to give the gift as it was given to me, and I am not in charge of the outcomes. Let's say for sake of argument, I could be in charge of the outcomes. Is there any chance my ego would not reemerge? Right? If I was in charge of your recovery and I was able to get you clean forever, I'd be a big man on campus, wouldn't I? Is that dangerous? Is that dangerous, right? Is that dangerous to me? Oh my God. Richard goes, we have a big stage for you tomorrow. I said, that's good. My ego will finally fit someplace. You know? <laughs> so it's still not enough. Now I'm actually having the spiritual experiences. And my life is changing. I am actually starting to care about others. And I didn't even know what that felt like. Right? Throughout the book, it talks about new. Nine-step promises, new. Look for the word new. When you read the book next time, look for the word new. It's all new to me. I didn't have these feelings at 10 or 11 years old. Right? I was not an adult. I was a 10 or 11-year-old. Right? You know, I started this whole journey when I was 12. I didn't, have never had these experiences before. People start to actually matter to me, and I start to look at you, and I want to be able to help you, not for the clarification. I don't any longer care about whether I get any recognition for the love and compassion that has been shown to me. Because I don't remember the people. What has to happen? I'm listening. Right. I mean, I, God's honest truth, how many hundreds of people have shown me love and compassion beyond what I was even consciously capable of? And I'm here today because of them, not because of something that I've done. Um, so I throw myself into... Listening to speakers on tapes. Now, I've done that since 2004. I love listening to speakers on tapes. Because right? it gives me an opportunity to judge without having to see the person. You know? I... <laughs> well. <laughs> you don't do that? Oh, shit. Um, and it's because it's like being able to show up at all the good meetings. Right? Who am I, by the way, to rate a meeting good? Right? Who am I to judge anybody? Um, but I listen to speakers on tape, and I'm listening to the old people. You know, Morty Joseph, the milkman from L.A., right, got sober in 1940, like one of the original six that got sober in L.A., right? 
listening to uh, you know guys throughout the the ages speak, and I'm listening to Mark Houston one time, and he talks about where are you in the circle in the triangle, and I started to think, you know, he might have a point there. He might actually. Oh, I didn't tell anybody that, you know, but I thought that. Um, he might actually be right. So let's take a look at it. Because I'm desperate. I'm desperate to get more free of me. I want this more than anything I've ever wanted in my life, except for my family's happiness and well-being. Right? Because this is me. And it's separate. I now put them in front of everything. Not, I, not that I put them in front of my sobriety or any of that stuff. I don't put them in front of my clean. It's just a fact. I love them more than life itself. Right? Um, I want to get the whole deal. I have shortchanged myself since 1985, and I want to get the whole deal. So I decided I'm going to look at right, what it looks like in the circle and triangle for me, which is how the three legacies inventory came about for me. Now, there may be hundreds of groups across the world who do this. I have no idea. This was born out of listening to a talk by a man who, when he touched base with his sponsees, um, would touch base on what their what they where they were in the three triangles. Now, so what do I start doing? I'm working with a guy in California. I'm working with a bunch of guys in New Jersey, one in New York, and, and no, nobody in Pennsylvania at that time. So I'm calling these guys up. I've got a newfound idea, a very dangerous proposition for me, typically. <laughs> I call them up and I say, hey, where are you in the circle and the triangle? I have no idea, right? <laughs> you know, what could possibly go wrong with that? And we start talking about it. And we start talking about what it looks like. So what I do is I take the opportunity to talk to them, and I talk about where are you in unity? Where are you in service, and where are you in recovery? And I've got to take a piece of paper out, and I've got to start to actually formulate what my questions are. You guys have a handout. At least the first 25 seats had a handout. And it's, it's comprised of um, two pages that uh, are typed on a computer and a handwritten page. Okay? And we're going to go through the structure of what my three legacies inventory looks like. You don't have to do it this way. You don't ever have to do it at all. right? You can sit here and make fun of me all you want. But if you do this, look at the questions and ask yourself, are these true for me? Because they're true for me in one form or another. Now, as I started to put together um, this inventory, I started to try to do it at a minimum of once a month. Right? So I have a 10 and 11 today in my life. Uh, I've got a four-step that I've done relatively recently, and I am willing to go through the steps at some point within the next six or nine months with, new, with somebody new. Right? So I have inventory, and I have you know, this idea that I uh, can um, review where I am in this world pretty well okay, according to the, book of, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. But now I want something that's going to take me to a place that uncovers different ways that, can, that my you can manifest. Now, I don't know about you, but what happens with me is that um, as time goes by, I will find new ways of getting really screwed up that come out of things that I wouldn't even have thought. I will start taking pride in things that are bad because I, I, I can catch taking pride in the things that are good. Right? My, my ego reemerged in ways I never expected it. So let's take a look at the typewritten pages. Okay, so we have the, everyone knows about the circle and the triangle, right? Bill Wilson said these are our three, three legacies, right? Unity, service, and recovery. I can't be of any value to you if I'm not in recovery. That's a given, right? We can't be of any value to us unless we're unified. And the truth is I have to create a platform that will out, well, I will have to help create a platform that will outlive me because I want someone else, after I'm gone, to be able to come into these rooms and get free also. And I don't want to take any credit for that. Biggest problem that I have in my life, which you'll see is the biggest typewritten part of this, is about unity. Okay? So let's just take a look at uh, unity. I start off with the 10-step promise. We have, and we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, dash even alcohol. That promise says that I will have ceased fighting anything. Is there an exception to that? Is there an exception to anything? That word's pretty clear. 
doesn't say most things. It says that I have ceased fighting anything. Well, does that mean I'm a wimp? I just hang out and like let you guys walk all over me? No, it says that I will not become engaged in negative work with others. I have ceased fighting anything, whether it be a concept, whether it be a principle, whether it be uh, you know uh, someone who's running a meeting the way I don't like, right? And I've ceased fighting anyone, which means that I no longer have, or I no longer have the sense of need in myself of being right. I no longer have the sense of the need in myself of being superior. I no longer have the sense in myself that somehow by keeping you down, by fighting you, I'm going to be better off. And that's odd for me. <laughs> for by this time, sanity will have returned. What is sanity? What is sanity, right? Sanity for, means that, for me means that when I wake up in the morning, I don't feel different. Right? I feel connected to God. And I feel connected to you people, finally. Right? There's me, you, and God, right? What else is there? And for once, I feel the wholeness of being. Sanity for, means that I'm, sanity for me means that I am no longer seeking an avenue out of where I'm at, but I am now trying to get closer to God. I look at every single aspect of my life. I was posing questions to Richard, you know, and I was saying crazy stuff. Like, if you knew you could have the absolute spiritual weight, would you give away all your material items? <laughs> Just let it hang out there, you know? What did he say? But I pondered that thought. Would I truly do that? Right? So where is my boundary for a spiritual awakening? Where is my boundary for sanity? Where is my boundary for, for, for being self-directed? Sanity is about letting go of my self-direction and getting with God. Because with, when I get with God, I get a message that I have not had before. I know this because I'm knowing a new freedom. There is that word again. A new happiness. Um, so, let's just read the overview now. Uh, the three legacies are unity, service, and recovery. By taking this inventory, I specifically ask myself, where am I in my new life? It's meant as anything as simple as a spot check to an in-depth review. It is not meant to replace any disciplines, and I'm talking about 1011. It is in addition to my to daily inventory, and I have found it to be helpful in placing me firmly in the light. Everybody know what I'm talking about? Right? I'm in the sunshine of the spirit if I'm in tune in my life. As soon as I get out of tune, as soon as I wake up just kind of discontented, the sunlight starts to go away. My ego will tend to reassert itself in anything I do that means something to me, whether in work, family, the recovery process, or with friends. Each time this, un um, each time this inventory comes up clean, my life is in order outside the three legacies. Now, I want to tell you, this is the amazing thing. I observed this in my life. I didn't hope that this comes true. It actually was observable actions. Whenever my life was in balance, whenever I was working with just the right number of guys, whenever I was going to the just the right number of meetings, whenever I was being as the most service to my, to my employer, whenever I was doing the right thing at home, when I was doing these things and I did a, th uh, a three legacies inventory, I wasn't imbalanced. It was weird. Whenever I was a little bit out of kilter at work, my, my job was tough, right? They expect me to actually do my job, right? And that's tough. Um, whenever I was having a hard time at work or maybe with the wife, I would get to the three legacies inventory and I would find a problem. I would find a problem. Now, I haven't come to the conclusion that that problem is in tandem with what was going on or whether that problem predicated, you know, uh, pre uh, preceded the, the problem at work or something else. I'm not sure, but I'll tell you something. They go hand in hand and it's great because this is an early indicator. This is the canary in the mind for me. 10 and 11 is great, but I can get re repetitive in 10 and 11. I can forget to do 10 and 11. I'll be doing 10-11 tomorrow, in fact, and I may forget to do it. And I can get, uh, you know, into life, right? Life can get busy. But when I do this and I look at this, I, it, it, comes to, it becomes very, very clear to me where I am. 
So I use this as a good spot check when I have difficulties in normal inventory uh, uh, that, that normal inventory has trouble identifying. I like to do this once a month, kind of at least. Uh, now, so now how does that look? What does that look like for me? It could be as simple as sitting down with a piece of paper and kind of going through the stuff that's, that's, you know, I know are my problem areas in the three legacies. I may not actually end up with written information, right? But I'll have a pen and I'll have a paper with me and I'll be available to, if that's what's going to happen, right? I've got a list. This, this, what we have in front of us today is actually a little bit of an expansion because I've been working on this. So we got a little bit bigger. It's going to get a little bit smaller and a little more, more drill down as time goes by. It's a work in progress for me. Or it can look like I'm on the phone with a sponsee and we've both got written in depth three legacies inventory about us and we're getting down and dirty with each other. What does it mean? What I'm seeking to achieve are the four absolutes in all my affairs. Absolute honesty, absolute purity, absolute unselfishness, and absolute love. Right? Everybody know what the four absolutes are? Okay, if not, see me after the meeting. Um, it was my experience when going to Akron for Founders Day that it was where I learned about the four absolutes for the first time. And they, and they just, it just blows me away because it's true. Right? I can't ever get to the four absolutes, but I can shoot for it. Each of the legacies here includes a brief description and a set of basic questions. As I examine myself, I search out the tough questions over time and add them to my list. Each one of my questions can lead to an inventory item. I try and be specific and look at what drives the defect just as I might do in a four-step. Be specific in your answers and drill down. I want to say this again. This is a direction, right? Like I, like I know what I'm talking about. Be specific and drill down. None of my inventories where I was casual really helped. But when I looked at them, we're going to look at one of my examples on the handwritten note where I actually drilled down. Okay, so let's go to the first, let's flip the first page over, oh, for you just turn it over. And we got the unity, okay? Biggest problem in my life, which is why it's first. You guys, uh, you know, so all the people who came in late, you know, the front row had also has the, all the handouts. But uh, you guys can share them. They're also, uh, this will be on uh, my home group's website, wbbw.org. So, um, and I'll read this to you. Unity, there's a definition I put first. The state of quality of being one, semicolon, singleness. Two, the state of quality of being in accord, semicolon, harmony. So unity is, is, is supposed to be for us, right, and certainly for me, is the connectedness with you with the concept that the greater good of CA is the first thing in our minds. That my ego is not up and, and, and my, my, you know, some particular agenda I may be on this week, right, isn't in the forefront of what I'm doing. What I'm trying to do, though, is keep the harmony in the rooms. Now, there's a, there's a, there's a fine balance for me where I open my mouth and create uh, divisive statements or discord, or I'd, be or I'd be truthful. And that's one of my biggest struggles right now, is when do I open my mouth and say something in such a manner that love and tolerance is the front line of my code, as opposed to, you're an idiot! You just said that? Where did you come from? I think these things. Fortunately, I don't say them. <laughs> So the first tradition, I wonder why it's first. I can't figure this one out. Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon AA unity. And you can obviously replace CA unity there. Um, under the heading of unity, I examine my conduct, conduct in the fellowship. Okay, What I do here, how I open my mouth, and what am I bringing to the table today? I'm supposed to be bringing something. I'm not supposed to be getting anymore. Right? Isn't that what a recovered addict does? Give of themselves? Well, not always. Anyway. Um, this includes, but is not limited to, my home group, other meetings, newcomers, old-timers, sponsors, and sponsees. Are my actions adding to a unified or divided fellowship? Um, No contention here, right? Um, we're all unified. Um, you know, it's funny. One of the things I want to make very, uh, very evident, and this has become 
blindingly clear to me re- recently. We have a fellowship um, of vibrant people. We have a fellowship of people in transition, right? Am I going to have the compassion to be available to every single one of them on an equal basis? If I'm truly recovered, I'm, I'm available to whoever's in this room, no matter how much I may think that they're not doing things the way I think they should do. Right? I, uh, I gave a, a sponsee a nine-month coin um, in Pennsylvania uh, this past spring, and, and uh, I went to her meeting, and, and uh, you know she asked me to speak, and I was like, okay, great. I said, fine. So I was speaking, right? And it's not like this group. It was like I had a bunch of department store dummies sitting in seats. <laughs> and, like, no one's saying anything. You know, and I was trying to use the good stuff on them, too, and they, they weren't responding. And, uh, you know, they didn't find some of the stuff that I found funny, funny. But I came to a point, I came to a point where I was talking, and I said, you know, it doesn't really matter whether you're 15 minutes away from your last, this is a, a drink, right? Or you're 15 years past your last inventory. And when I said that, everybody got really quiet. And I looked around and I go, are there dry alcoholics in here with a lot of time? And they were like, And they were all laughing because they were mean old men like me, right? And I've been there. Right? I was spiritually bereft in the fellowship with a lot of time. Man, I was dying in the rooms. Dying in the rooms. So am I compassionate to all? When I go into a, a, a meeting, am I meeting up with the old guy who does not want to hear what I have to say and I'm being compassionate to the person knowing that there is much trouble. Right? There isn't much trouble as the guy who's got eight days. I had a guy, I sponsored a guy with nine days. Met me that morning and I, at our regular meeting and I said, who did you help yesterday? He goes, I got nine days. I said, go find somebody with eight and tell them that there's a chance. Right? I never saw him again. And um, <laughs> so I want to take a look at some, these are my questions. These don't have to be your questions. Come up with your own questions, right? But if they're true, think about them. What does the word "we" mean to me? So I wrote just a very a brief blurb because in this inventory, I, I'm going to write a little paragraph or a little statement about where I am with certain things. And the concept of we on a little pathetically handwritten note, you know, the, the, the concept and reality of we is that, that the common problem and common solution, underlying common here, is not one of my making, my experience, or an outcome of my thinking, but driven by spiritual actions of all. Okay? I don't get sober in a vacuum. I don't get clean in a vacuum. I don't, you know, stop uh, hoovering uh, large amounts of cocaine in a vacuum. I come here and you people are in different states of a spiritual awakening. I see this and I want this. I may be full of fear, driven by a hundred forms of fear, but you have something that is better than where I just came from. So let's look at one one of the next comments. Are my comments divisive at meetings? Am I thinking of making divisive comments but refrain? Anybody have any experience with that? And they show up and just want to say to the, shut up! Nobody wants to hear what you have to say. If I, was your, I, if I was your sponsor, I'd kill you just as a mercy killing. You guys don't do that here? So here on the handwritten note, we, do, we get to the point where I say, are my comments divisive? And the, and the truth is, I actually refrain right now. Right? My answer is no. Because my first concern is am I splitting a fellowship? Is a new guy or a new woman going to show up and see people bicker and say, this doesn't work for me? I'll tell you a quick story. It was 1985. Um, they had released me uh, uh, from uh, the rehab and gave me my, uh, my uh, basic text and the big book and said, you know, make 90 meetings in 90 days. Nice talking to you. And out I went. And I decided, even though I was a, uh, I mean, it was somewhere between 85 and 90% of what I put in my body was cocaine. Uh, because I was, I really wanted to excel in that, that part of my life. And, but I thought, I'm going to go to an AA meeting and see what that's about. It was a rainy Tuesday afternoon. I was unemployed. I was all alone, you know, skittish, you know. You know, I had like 11 days out of the rehab. And uh, 
I show up on this uh, Saturday, uh, Tuesday, Saturday afternoon meetings, and it's kind of drizzling out, and I walk through the door, and I'm like five minutes late. Why well, get early, right? Why get early? So I show up five minutes late, and I open the door, and the tables are in a giant rectangle, and there's like six people uh, at these tables, and there's a young guy, quote-unquote, he wasn't young to me at the time, because I was, I was 24, but he was about 30. When he was in the far end of the, tri- of the rectangle, and there was this old guy, and he's old to me today. You know, he had a flannel shirt on, suspenders, a belt, high water, you know, pants, white socks, black shoes. You know, I mean, he was rocking. I mean, I wanted what he had. And as I walk through the door, he jumps up, his chair flies back, and he takes a crumpled $5 bill and throws it at the guy with 30, uh, you know, who's 30 years old and says, if you want to drink, there's five bucks. Go out and drink. I'm here to get sober. Oh, like, <laughs> warning, warning, plea, plea premises, plea premises. I'm like, oh my God. I never went back to that meeting. Right? I didn't know any better. I, in my current state, I would have, I would have showed up and I would have made fun of the old guy. Right? I mean, <laughs> but this guy was nuts. And he was, he was bitter. And he was, he was, he, he was so dry that you wouldn't want to strike a match near him. You know, he might just catch fire. Flipping flames. So I don't want to be him. So what I do is I keep my mouth shut. And I think about, am I, is the, is the room better off when I open my mouth? And one of the problems I have is that I don't always have a clear way of explaining how you're a freaking idiot. Right? I don't have the ability to explain to you. I, I went to a meeting and this guy was like, I went to give a, a chip to another guy that I sponsored, and I, I, I would never go to this meeting because I judged it to be unworthy of my presence. And I'm working on it. I'm, I get there, and I get there early because I'm spiritual now, right? And I show up early, and I'm talking to this guy, and he's like, yeah, I got 90 days today. I said, that's great. Are you working with somebody? He goes, yeah, I got so-and-so in his 24 years. I said, that's wonderful. Are you getting into the steps? He goes, yeah, we're going to do one a year. And I was sitting there, and it was like a roulette wheel. You have 300 things to say, none of them productive. 300 things to say, none of them productive. <laughs> oh, step a year. Oh, my God. You know, what are you, what are you saying? Oh my God. I just want to cry. And I find it sometimes hard to deliver a message of strength and hope at that point. So I keep my mouth shut, but I seek in a way to quietly let people know that there is a, an alternative solution. Now I spent vast parts of my life in a structure where I wasn't doing a goddamn thing. Right? And I was just hanging on. I was hanging on your coattails. I am working on currently how to be as productive as humanly possible without putting other people down, without challenging other people and their beliefs, allowing them their journey, and giving them my journey and my experience. Because if I could, in some way, with God's help, shorten the pain, wouldn't that be wonderful? So let's look at the next sentence on the handwritten note. Am I thinking of making devices comments? Well, the answer is yes. Right? I think that they're pithy and funny. Other people take them as a, as a direct attack on their very well-being. So what do I do? I write down. So I have a seven. So I, my family and I just got back from a, a two-week vacation. And I woke up on Saturday morning. I usually make a 6.30 a.m. Saturday meeting where they do Joe and Charlie tapes. And my wife looks at me at 6.35 in the morning and goes, aren't you going to that meeting? I go, apparently not. Right? So, I figure I'm going to go to the 715 meeting in another town. I don't go there because they irk me. Right? They have really good bagels. They have a giant meeting, and it's an open discussion. And I don't always find that uh, as productive. I say, you know, Dave, you need to go, and you need just to be of service. And find one person who you can be of, of service to. And I actually found somebody after that meeting I spent 20-some-odd minutes with who I knew who had, like, 36 days. You know, I had an opportunity to do the best I could to deliver this message. But on the way to this meeting, I want you to imagine this. I haven't stepped in the meeting. I've already shared in my head, yeah. taken it back, fixed it again, shared, gotten pissed at you because well, the second thing I shared didn't work out for either of us. It's not working. 
I mean, what? I'm not even parked yet, and I got a resentment. I got a resentment, and I haven't even been in the place. What's wrong with me? So I got a resentment against the 7:15 a.m. meeting, the cause, open discussion meeting, and what does it affect my self-esteem? It's based upon fear. You will not like me. You will reject me. You will somehow be right in being wrong. Oh my God, I'm a loser. If I make comments clear and simple, I fear they will be misunderstood or unappreciated for their spiritual worth. Hence, I refrain. Alright, so, right, I'll go through that. Right? But that pisses me off. <laughs> what it pisses off for me is me. I'm pissed off now at me, because you know what? I've done this before. <laughs> Next line on the inventory. I'm mad at Dave. I, what's the cause? Well, I lack spiritual awareness to be clear and concise and unafraid of judgment. That is the truth. What does it affect? It affects my self-esteem. I'm back into fear. What is my role in myself? I believe that the truth is not enough and they must somehow manage the truth. I show a lack of faith in the truth. If I show, For me, the truth is God and God is the truth. It just doesn't change. It's really that simple. Right? I show a lack of faith in that. If I got a lack of faith, I obviously don't have a belief, which for me comes after faith. Faith is what I take on, okay, I'm going to try this, and belief is what comes after I experience this. Well, that pisses me off. Right? Well, let's go to the next line. Who's on my inventory again? Dave. Lacks faith. Must be a, uh, a, must be a failure with God, as always. Right? Is it possible that affects my self-esteem and my security? Is afraid God uh, and my faith in God is not enough? Now, I could probably go another level, maybe two more in this, right? If I truly look at this. So what does it come out of? That I'm going to sit in the room and keep my mouth shut because I'm afraid that I'm not connected to God. Where does this come from? Where does this come from? Who do I hurt when I open my mouth? Who do I hurt when I keep my mouth shut? I just don't know. Before I share, I pray to God to let me share his message. Before I do a workshop, I pray to God that let me touch. Actually, before I share, I ask God whether or not I need to share and, and who I, and who will benefit by this. Uh, you know, in a workshop, I'm forced to share. So I pray to God that one person in the room hear something that they need to hear, right? I'm connected to God, morning, noon, and night. Not perfectly. I explain it as like a stone skipping across a pond. Anytime I get too close to God, I get scared. Whoa, that's too awesome. Well, let me just back up, right? Because I'm not used to all that beauty. I'm not used to that freeness, right? I'm getting closer, I'm getting closer. My, my, my skips are getting a little narrower, right? But where does this come from? Why can't I just be available? Why can't I just open my mouth? So the inventory process here is that I understand from every different angle why I'm not being of service to you people when I show up at a meeting. Right? Why do I prejudge the meeting before I show up? What is going on with this? And how do I get free of this? Well, i got to write about it. i got to understand. I describe my character defects as, as the leaves on a tree. I mean, it's a big tree, right? We're not talking about something in the middle of winter where there's like one dead leaf hanging there. I'm talking about this thing is full. Right? Uh, it doesn't rule my life. My life is not ruled by my character defects, but it doesn't do me any good to snatch the leaf off the tree. What I've got to find out is what is the branch that that is attached to, what is the limb that is attached to, where it connects to the trunk, and where the roots are. So I've got to drill down, I've got to understand what it is that allows me to not get connected with you when seemingly it appears to me that the message I've got to carry is this message and something else is actually going on. So, yeah, I guess everybody goes through that, right? So, there are a variety of questions on here. Um, do I support all meetings that carry the message as defined uh, by our fellowship, even if I don't like them? Do I rate meetings? Do I judge meetings? Am I consistent in my message, not tailoring it to one type of, or another? Has my conduct been one of inclusion or exclusion? Do I cut you out of my life because you're not doing the deal? Right? What's that about? 
What's that about? You're not good enough to hang out with me? I'm a dope fiend, you know? Yeah, where does my thinking come from? How am I conducting myself with various people in various meetings? Am I going up to the old dry alcoholic and snubbing him? Am I going up and being loving and kind? What am I doing? Am I actually doing this? And I look at the actual events in my life over the last few weeks, and I try to identify both the actions where I find myself positively interacting in a unified basis with the rest of the fellowship and those times where I'm not. Right? This is not a beat-me-up list. This is a list of what is actually going on, like a scientist looking at a dozen Petri dishes. Not only looking at the Petri dishes where the, where the growth has taken a case. I'm looking for the failures and, and, and the, and the uh, successes. Am I practicing love and tolerance of all? That doesn't, you know, in the book it talks about love and tolerance. Well, it doesn't say except those that piss us off, right? <laughs> except those who are, are, are spiritually bereft. Except, except those who, uh, you know, wear Converse sneakers, you know, except those who uh, wear their hats sideways, except those who, you know, whatever. Love and tolerance of all. So I have to get compassion in my life. Um, I spent a little bit more time on unity than I wanted to, but it's, it's the thing that kind of burns me today. It's the thing that causes me to uh, have a problem um, that I have to really look at. You know, Another one was, how does my ego interfere with a unified message? Does my ego manifest in such a way? And I'll give you an example. You know, I work with uh, you know, a bunch of guys, and we get together all the time. We do a book, big book workshop at my house, you know. We're there on Sundays together. We're rocking and rolling. I'm talking to everybody as often as humanly possible. So they're looking towards me for what to do next in the workshop. And if I talk bad about the 12 and 12, how am I helping anybody? If I talk bad about a piece of literature, or I say, you know, we're not going to work with that, how am I helping anybody? Right? My ego would like me to believe I don't need the 12 and 12. I have the big book. Right? Somehow I'm going to get everything I need out of the big book. And then I don't need that thing. Uh, the truth is I actually don't, I don't believe that. But I have found myself acting that way. Because my ego has reemerged and I thought what I'm doing in the big book is more important than what Bill Wilson wrote in the 12 and 12. After 15 years! No, the ego did not reemerge. Um, you know, do I support group conscience or do I try and bend a will, uh, meaning to my will? Do I belong to a clique that shuns others? No, I don't belong to a clique that shuns others. Right? But I have found that when I show up at a meeting, if I don't have enough time to talk to everybody that I want to talk to, do I find myself talking to the same people all the time? How will a clique develop in my life? How are we doing on time? Another two hours? Fifteen. Fifteen? Okay. All right, so that's, that's it for unity. So, so for unity, uh, thank you, by the way. Feed my ego. Keep going. Um, so unity is the biggest problem that I have in my life when I come to a means. In this portion of my life, okay, it's not an overwhelming thing. And as I said, I try to, do, I try to keep my mouth shut when I'm not going to be of use to anybody. I just do, right? Because I don't want to be the guy... Crumpling up the $5 bill, tossing it across the table. Now the question is service. Who here is involved in service? Okay. Who here would like to be involved in service, but you don't like the people who are involved in service? <laughs> so, you know, um, from about... Well, that's a true question. Um, between like 1985 and 1989, I was a service junkie. I was the guy you went to for conventions, rodeos, roundups, uh, you know, conferences, uh, workshops, whatever. I was the guy rocking and rolling. Come and see me. I'm making the coffee. I'm cleaning up. I'm setting up chairs. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I'm involved in every aspect of service, but I'm not involved in the steps. How'd that work out for me? I loved it. But I was desperate to hang out with you people. I was desperate to, to, to get something other than I had. And I needed service. I needed to be, I needed to feel worthwhile. 
Because I didn't feel worthwhile. I didn't feel successful. You know, I was with my own thoughts and it felt very awkward. So I threw myself into service. That's why uh, when I look at service now, I look at service uh, in a very balanced view because I've actually been to, the, to two extremes, being completely involved in service and being completely uninvolved in service. And now I've got an actual nice balance in service in my life. Right? I do a website. I do an audio. I do, uh, um, I'm involved in a meeting. I'm involved in the area level uh, in New Jersey. And I don't get too involved in service because I know how that is for me. But I've actually had a look at service from my point of view is why don't I get more involved, right? Why don't I, I, I got to tell you something, I've been sitting in, I, I was sitting in a service meeting probably three months ago and I'm looking around and I go, I've seen these people for 15 years, you know? Come on, rotate everyone, you know, give somebody else a chance. And I go, there you go, Dave, you're judging them, right? And these people are working their butts off. For, for the creative foundation in the fellowship. Right? Who am I to complain about any other organization that I'm not willing to commit time to? I don't like the literature that CA is printing. Get involved. I don't like the literature that A is printing. Get involved. Right? If I don't like what's going on in service, I can get involved. But I, from a personal basis, I can't get involved beyond what my recovery looks like. I can't make that my recovery. I can't throw myself in and become a service junkie because what happens for me is I do that to the exclusion of everything else. I do that because there's only so much time in the day, right? Um, let's look at some of the questions. You know, am I allowing time to, to help the service structure stay alive? I absolutely am. Am I focused on the service structure that helps deliver the message? Well, that's a, that's a little bit of a twisted triangle for me because uh, who am I to judge with delivering the message? How do I know? How do I know? You know, I, I never get picked for the fun committees. I always get picked for the dull committees. Um, but I do them, right? I do them because I, I understand, but I rotate out, right? I don't ever take over a committee forever. I had a tremendous amount of fun being the chair of uh, what's currently my home group. And people would come and go, hey, that's Dave's meeting. Well, that's not Dave's meeting. Right? It's not Dave's meeting. Uh, I'm the chair. And I kept, and the one-year anniversary of our meeting, I told everybody, I'm not going to be here in a year. Everyone goes, sure, Dave. Right? At a year and a, year and a half, I'm not going to be here. And at two years, I said, we need to have a meeting because someone's taking this over. I have to be willing to rotate because I cannot get attached. I cannot become a, a committee or, or a service structure or anything else. Is my service broad in scope? And the answer for me, yes. Uh, is my service attractive to the newcomer? And that's a hard one because nobody's attracted to service, right? <laughs> but uh, I try to make it a point of saying to people, listen, service is very important. It's been very important to me from the beginning. It's been very important throughout my, uh, my recovery. You know, it's uh, not a small thing. If we did not have service, we would not be here tonight. Uh, do I take pride in my service? Uh, I have at times answered that question, yes. And uh, it was, interestingly enough, it was about a year uh, anniversary uh, at my own group that I realized that the answer was truly yes. I took great pride in my service at that meeting. And that's why I had to make it a point of making sure everybody knew that I would not be there. You know, in that service uh, position. I had to give that position up. I had to rotate out because it was becoming a problem. Right? Now I can address that problem, but it comes up. Right? And over the last month, have I been active in service? And the answer is yes. And the question before that is, am I, am I willing to quietly do service? I got a head shaking in the second row. Excellent. Um, you know, you may not have noticed it, but I have an ego. And I can take pride in what I do. And pride essentially says to God, you know what? You've given me this amazing opportunity. You've given me this amazing life. And by the way, it's my work, not yours. All right? So I get involved in, in, in service and somehow I take pride. And, and you know, um, I'm very fortunate because this is, for some reason, when I go through things like pride, they, they become evident very quickly for me. They don't sneak up on me. Pride is something that I realize I'm doing right away. Maybe because I, I was very prideful for many years. I don't know. And lastly, we have recovery. Uh, the act, process, duration, 
of an instance of recovering, a return to a normal condition, something gained or restored in recovering, the act of obtaining usable substances from unusable sources. So under the heading of recovery, I examine my actions in practicing these principles in my, in, in my affairs. Is my, is my recovery on sound footing as I carry the message to others? So I've gone through the stuff that I would not necessarily normally look at, which is unity. You know, no one talks about 1011, let's discover, let's, let's investigate unity. Nobody talks about in 1011, let's, let's investigate service. It's just kind of assumed that maybe that'll come up, right? But I do that in the three legacies inventory and I finally get to recovery. What do I look like in recovery? Am I arrogant? Am I egotistical? Am I self-centered? Right? I can do a 1011 and it can appear that I'm okay. But if I'm looking at it from a step back of the overall picture, I may start to notice that things have changed. You know, the great ship that has been launched from the shore of a disaster, uh, while headed towards you know its destination, may be leaking oil, and I don't see it in 1011, right? But I see it in, in the three legacies. So is my recovery on sound footing as I carry the message to others? So um, on the last page of the handwritten scribble. Uh, is the message uh, one free of opinion? Yes. Is the message I carry one free of ego? No. And that's the truth for me. Uh, it's not an overriding thing. It's not something that, that, that drives me, but it's something that I'm very cognizant of. And here it says, this is my biggest challenge. My ego resembles uh, at the first, reemerges at the first opportunity. It shows up in my, in my shares, my qualifications, in workshops and in sponsorship. It does not dominate, fortunately it does not dominate, as inventory keeps me in check both daily and spot and three legacies. So is this message I carry free of dogma, right? I can't tell you how to recover. I have absolutely no idea what your journey is like. God, I was talking to God this morning and he failed to tell me what your life looks like. So I really am you know, not well equipped to discuss what it could possibly look like for you. So I can't pound upon you what it's got to look like for you. I can tell you what's worked for me. Right? And I will tell you, if we spend some time together, you'll realize I have tried every single avenue, and finally, including the one that's in the book. Right? I've tried every easier, softer way, and it didn't work. Right? I know about, you know, I tried everything. It was just, drove me nuts. But in the end, it was a simple, it was a simple answer uh, found here in the book. Um, so, dogma for me is the reemergence of ego. So what happens? Why am I yelling at you to do it my way because it's tied to my ego tied to a, 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 a particular method I rate this message highly and so want to be attached to it so I have a dogma I found the right way to get sober look I carry the right way aren't I attractive now right here do this now or else you're wrong and I'm right I did that I did that in, in, in the rooms for about two years um Am I remaining small, and I'm going to finish with this, am I remaining small in the fellowship? Okay? I am not important. I cannot make that more clear. It doesn't matter that I'm sitting up here or somebody else is sitting up here. What matters for me is that the message is clear, it's concise, and it's true. For me. It may not be true for you. Right? It may not be true... For anybody else in this room, I don't have another message but what was given to me and how it was implemented in my experience and my journey through. This too is attached to my ego. How is it possible that in, in, in three, the third step, I have turned my will and life over to God and I then take back something and attribute it to myself? If I attribute anything that you guys have heard tonight from me, Trust me, I've learned it from another man, and it's an unbroken message that we've been given to ourselves. Thank you very much. Thank you.